0: So seeing those scenes makes you think of preparing the Thanksgiving meal and sharing that meal with people this week. Probably, is anybody in here going, boy, I sure could use some Jesus at my Thanksgiving table this year. Anybody already got that on their mind or in their prayers? God, please, just a little bit of Jesus somewhere when we sit down at that table together. Especially if somebody brings up politics or religion. Well, it's with the Thanksgiving meal in mind that we're taking these next two weeks to look at God's table, the feast, the meal at the table of God, and in particular, the invitation to the table, and then the dining experience itself. So this week, we're going to start with the invitation to God's table. And we'll do that by looking at a story in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is invited to a meal, and then he shares some of his observations while he's there. And fortunately, the meal he's invited to is basically a Thanksgiving meal. It's very helpful for us this week, very direct. it, It isn't an actual Thanksgiving meal, the way that we celebrate Thanksgiving, but it's a Sabbath meal. So it was the meal that was shared on the holy day, the Sabbath day. And it was a Sabbath meal that was going to be hosted at the home of a respected religious leader in the community. So it was a big deal. And so there's, there's a lot of parallels between this Sabbath meal and our Thanksgiving. And, and here's why. For instance, um, this, this Sabbath meal involved multiple courses And each one had with it a a blessing, uh, reciting of scripture. And it was on the Sabbath, which was their day of rest, which meant that there couldn't be any work done on that day in preparation for this event and this meal. So all of the preparation had to be done in the days prior. All of the shopping, all of the cooking, all of the cleaning. They also would have prepared their home by putting away any signs or evidence of work. So they would have taken all the piles of bills and stuck them somewhere and all the tools put away, all the laundry hidden, the backpacks, the lunch boxes, all that stuff where nobody could see it. Just don't open that closet door over there. and it would have been a feast a spread the best that they could prepare to eat because they were celebrating they were remembering God's presence with them as a people and in their home it's a meal that would have ta- it would have been more of an event it would have taken most of the day is this starting to sound familiar to anybody It had symbolism. It had meaning. It was a time where they connected and reconnected with each other over what they shared in common. And if you were at the meal, you were there because you were family. You were family or you were an honored guest. It's what would have brought you to the Sabbath meal table. And Jesus was invited to this table by a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day and in that community. and so he goes. here's something else though that I think um, makes this maybe um, indicative of our Thanksgiving meals. And, and for this you need a little context to understand. So if you read the scripture I'll read in a minute from Luke 14, if you read the chapters prior leading up to it and even after, what you read is an experience that Jesus is having where he's being grilled, uh, criticized, critiqued, challenged, often by the Pharisees and the religious leaders, usually because the way he was showing love to people broke with their rules and expectations and standards. And so it created a difficult relationship there for them to understand him. And and they had started to tell him, hey, you know what, by the way, The Romans have gotten word about you, and and Herod knows about you and what you're saying and who you are, and so your life's in danger, so you probably need to get out of here. And so what I think is by the time Jesus showed up at that meal, I think he just about had it, which is why I say I think there may be another parallel there for us with our Thanksgiving (laughs) meals. (laughs) By the time he walked in the door (laughs) or the food was served, I think he was done. I think he was ready to go DMX on those people. Y'all going to make me lose my mind up in here. Up in here. (laughs) Y'all going to make me go all out. (laughs) Up in here. Up in here. Y'all going to make me act a fool up in here. No. Y'all going to make me lose my cool. I mean, it fits. It fits so perfectly. And then... And, and I'm going to use a, a, an old, I think, southern preaching colloquialism here. Jesus quit preaching and went to Medellin. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I heard it in the first church I ever served. An old guy told me that one Sunday after the sermon. He said, Eric, you, you quit preaching and went to Medellin." And what he meant was I'd stopped talking about ideas and started talking about their lives. And that's what Jesus did at their table. When he went to this meal, Jesus has a way of meddling with our lives. For instance, I have a friend who shared a story on Facebook after um, one of the mass shootings that we've experienced recently. Uh, His name's Phil, and he shared on Facebook that when he was an associate pastor at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church years ago, there was a shooting at Peachtree Center, and the senior pastor of the church, Don Harp, preached that Sunday about gun control. And uh, Phil said the next day, one of the congregants came into the office irate, complaining about it. And Phil asked him, well, what do you think Jesus would say? And he said, the guy took a second and said, You know, I might just have to disagree with Jesus on this one. (laughs) To which Phil said, well, we just try to represent Jesus. See, Jesus has a way of meddling in our lives and what we do and how we think and how we act and how we treat the dinner table. And so the way he started meddling with them when he walked in, it says when he first showed up, so if you start at the beginning of Luke 14, he saw, he saw a guy who was sick, diseased. And it was the Sabbath, and you don't work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus immediately put the question to him. And this is why I said, I think he had just had it with him. He said, okay, this guy's diseased. I can heal him. Should I heal him on the Sabbath? Because that's work. And they had no answer for him. And it says Jesus healed him. And then, as he watched the meal progress, he watched people jockey for position at the table. Closest to the head of the table. The seats of honor. You know, try to work their way there. Like how some of you will jockey to be first in line when the food is ready. With me. (laughs) You'll have to fight me for that spot. But... But he saw them and, and, and he said, you know what, that's, that's not the way this works. He started to teach them about the importance of sitting at the lower end of the table, away from the head of, the seats of least honor. He said, because those of you who lift yourselves up will be made low. And those of you who are willing to lower yourselves will be lifted up. It's like I get the sense that he read the room and he realized, okay, there's people here who have decided that rules are more important than relationships. And there's people here who've decided that they would rather be important or look important than worry about the well-being of other people. And so he talked to them about being guests at a meal, and then he turned to the host, the one throwing the meal, the one who had extended the invitations. And Jesus talks about what it means to host a meal, to invite people to your table. And those are the verses that I want to read specifically for us this morning. It's from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. We're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, You can follow along if you've got uh, our app. It's there for you. Or you can use one of the Bibles in the pews. And those are yours to have, by the way, if you'd like to take one with you or give one to somebody, you can. But this is Luke uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It says, Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, Don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind. And you will be blessed, because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. And I don't know if you can see why I said that Jesus goes to meddling, but he starts speaking directly to them about when you host a meal, who do you invite? Not, not the theoretical Kind of theology that we should love everybody and and everybody's important to God and, and these are things we believe and like. He just sort of moves right past that to, okay then, when you have a meal, who do you invite? And why? See, he moves out of the theory to the tangible, to the practical. That's why it's called meddling. He, he gets away from just opining about ideas like we are wont to do and firing shots, making generalities towards people. Usually from the safety of a phone or computer screen. And he moves it to the practical, the personal, to faith with flesh on, to the Christianity that is lived out in community. In relationship with each other around the table, for instance. Now, it presumes that you would have a meal that you would invite people to, which I know is more and more uncommon, really, in our culture. I mean, you don't see as much of that, maybe, as you used to. Thanksgiving is an exception, but... um, But Jesus uses the meal table as an example. And actually, I think there's value in the meal table. I've read something recently from Leonard Sweet, and I want to read the quote directly. He said, family is forged and formed. Friendships are made and matured around tables. All tables are good, but home tables are best. Don't always outsource your table. So there's something to be presumed inherently valuable to sitting down at the table together. And of course, when they sat down at that meal together, Jesus said to the host, when you have a meal, don't invite your family, your friends, your brothers and your sisters, your neighbors. Now, I know some of you heard that and go, yes. (laughs) Jesus said, I do not have to invite my relatives (laughs) to my meal. That is not what that means. (laughs) Let's be clear. No, he said, don't invite your brothers and sisters, your family, your rich neighbors Why? Because then they'll invite you back, reciprocate, repay you, and that's the extent of your reward. A full belly, a warm, fuzzy feeling that in fact is actually fleeting and insufficient for what we were truly created for. He said, because you'll have your reward if that's the way you function. But instead, he said, invite the lame, the poor, the blind, the sick. These would have been for them, the people that don't get invited. when you're making your list of who all you want at your table, who all you want to share in the meal with you, who all you want in your home, who all you want to celebrate with you. These are the people that probably don't even come to mind. And yet Jesus said, when you have a meal... These are the folks that you should invite to your table. This is is the invitation of God that extends to anyone, to everyone, everywhere, and in particular to the people who would be least likely to be invited. This is the invitation to God's table. This is the invitation to God's feast. This is the invitation to faith. This is the invitation to kingdom life. To invite the one who wouldn't be invited. I had this conversation Again, on a very practical level, with somebody here in Chapel Roswell recently, she was telling me about a situation in their family. They have a family member who is not invited when the family gets together. Not her decision. But this family member doesn't get an invitation now. Because when he, now she, came out as transgender, The pain that that caused for the family and understanding that, relating, they just don't invite her. But the young woman here in Chapel Roswell told me, I can't do that. I love her and I want her to know that I love her. And I want her to know that God loves her. So when I get to extend the invitation, I'm inviting her. This is what the invitation of God looks like to the table. And it's a beautiful table, well-prepared. The feast will be amazing. And yet the people who will be invited aren't the first ones that are coming to our minds and typically do, which is why we've set the table this way, by the way. I don't know if you would notice, but the table is quite right. And nice. The chairs don't quite match. Don't match the table, don't match each other. Very different. Some old and sturdy and handmade, some straight from IKEA. A folding chair from the basement. And I can't help but think that's what the table of God looks like. For the chairs representing us, invited to the meal from all different places, all different backgrounds, all different experiences, yet invited to the table of God together to share in this meal. If you keep reading in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells them a story to illustrate one more time what he's getting at. And it's a parable about a feast, a banquet. And in the parable, the guy who's throwing the meal sends out invitations to all of his friends, all the people that you would expect him to invite. And one by one, they turn him down. They have their own reasons, their own excuses. You have to imagine, again, if it was was the holiday season, they probably get that invitation like, oh, great, one more Christmas party that I need to go to. And so one by one, they all just send back regrets. Sorry, can't do it. But that's what makes this meal, this table different. It's not just one more invitation to a religious way of life or one more invitation to how to be a morally, ethically good person or one more invitation to be happy or satisfied with who you are. This is an invitation to the table of the Lord. This is an invitation to life the way we were designed and created to live it. This is an invitation to experience what we were designed for, life with the source, savior, and sustainer God that's extended to you and me and everybody. And in that parable when all the friends turned him down because, you know what, I'm just busy And that's nice, but I'll have other options. Then it says the master sent the invitations out into the streets to invite any and everybody who was there. And he said, Tell them to come and enjoy the feast with me because there's still room at my table. See, Jesus told him, Don't invite your friends, your family members your rich neighbors, because you'll get your reward right there. But if you'll invite those who wouldn't be invited otherwise, then your reward will be in the resurrection. And we read that, and one way that's understood is, okay, one day in the sweet by and by, you know, I'll, I'll, with the streets of gold and the pearly gates, and I'll have a mansion in heaven. But, man, there's a much more, again, practical, tangible understanding of what Jesus means when he talks about resurrection. Resurrection was new life. When those who would not otherwise be invited are invited to the table of God, who didn't think they were worthy, who had no place of honor, who were discarded and cast aside. When those people, when you and I receive that invitation and take our place at the table of the Lord, then there's resurrection. Then there's new life. Then God brings something new to bear in them, in us, and in our world. And Jesus said, that's where your reward will be. That's where you'll realize the value and the power and the meaning of sharing a meal at the table together. So invite the lame, the blind, the poor, the crippled. Who would that be in your life? We take those words out and just make fill in the blanks. Who would be the one that Jesus would tell you today to invite to his table and the guests who heard him when he told them this said to him happy another way to understand that is blessed if I could refer you to the sermon on the mount and the beatitudes for those of you that would recognize that in Matthew blessed are the poor blessed are the meek blessed are the humble blessed happy are those who feast at God's table This is what God has created us for. This is what God's table looks like. This is the invitation of the Lord. And in a very real and practical way, Jesus is saying to us, Who are you inviting to know life with God? To have a seat at the table of God with you. There are a couple of ways that our church is extending the invitation to the table of the Lord. It reminds me, actually, last week, if you were here to hear Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, uh, one of the things she said was uh, she encouraged us for look for for ways to expand our the impact zone of the love of God in our lives and in our world. And so, a couple of ways that our church is looking to expand the impact zone. Of the love of God through us here in Roswell and expand the invitation to the table. One of them is the Thanksgiving meal that we host here on Thanksgiving Day at noon. That's a free meal, a warm meal, open to anybody in our community who's looking for a place to have Thanksgiving. We put this on as a way to extend the invitation to the table of God. And by we, I mean we. It it takes the people of the church to make a meal like this happen. This is an invitation to you. To come and share a Thanksgiving meal with people in your community. And or to help make it happen. It would be a great thing to do with your children, with your family. to, To say very practically, tangibly, we are going to extend the invitation to the, t- of, to the table of the Lord, to our community. If that's something that interests you, you can go to the website and find a way to sign up and help. It's rumc.com/slash thanksgiving. If you're around and available, I encourage you to consider taking part. Something else that we do is we participate in a network called Family Promise that provides temporary shelter for families in housing crisis. We're part of a network of churches that do this on a rotating basis, and we're hosting the families here the first full week in December. This is another great way that our church extends the invitation to the table of God into our community. And again, it it takes the people of the church to make this happen. You can be a part of this. The website is there, ChapelRoswell.com slash FP for Family Promise to find out how you could be involved. You see, these are just two very practical ways that we can take what Jesus was teaching at the table and, and live them out. But even beyond that, just for you personally, do you know somebody? Could use an invitation to the table? Your table? And maybe Thanksgiving, maybe you, you're too far down the road and you've got your plans. And so maybe it wouldn't be th- your Thanksgiving meal. M- maybe it would be. Maybe it would be somebody in your family or in your neighborhood or at work. And if it's not Thanksgiving, maybe it's lunch one day or coffee But I, I I, do have a sense that if we took even just a couple of minutes with God, there would be somebody that would come to mind for you. That you recognize and realize that they are worthy and valuable and would benefit from an invitation to share a meal at the table of the Lord. So, in fact... We're going to give that a shot just now, at least symbolically, in just a minute. The the band will come in a minute and lead us in a song. And on every pew, there are uh, place cards like this and pens. They're probably on the ends of the pew, so you might have to pass them down. Up here in the balconies, I know that they're on the rail in front of you. So here's... Here's what I'm asking, while we sing, would you consider if there's somebody in your life that you know of, that you believe could benefit from an invitation to the table, and then just write their name on the place card, and bring it up here and put it on the table, and what? I think will happen by the time we're done is we'll have a table full of names of people in your life, in our lives. We know God has spoken to us just like Jesus spoke to the folks who are gathered around that table. said, let's talk about who you're inviting to the table. So we'll do that while we sing. And the other thing that we'll do while we sing is a, as an act of response What God is doing is we give back, we give our offering, we give our tithe. This is a way to say, among other things, thank you. To acknowledge God as the source of your blessings, of what you have, and to give part of it back as a way to say thank you, and as a way to say, I trust you, God, that you'll continue to provide, and as a way to say, you know what, what our church is doing to extend the invitation in our community, I want to be a part of that. I want to help make that happen, and so this is the way you can do that is give. And the ways are up there on the screen in front of you. But before we sing, I want to ask if we could pray. And, and maybe you got the place card in your hand now or the pen. You may have already written on it. But just with that card and who it represents and what it represents as an invitation. And in mind what we would give with our offering and our tithe. I'm just asking that we together would lift all of that up to God as a prayer. God, thank you for the feast, for the table, for what it represents as your kingdom, your life, life the way you created us to know it and live it. And we're thankful for the invitation to your table. God, I'm mindful right now that there may be somebody in the room who wants to write their own name on this place card. To say, I need to know that God's invited me to the table. But for every name we write, every life they represent, and we also offer up ourselves to be instruments of the invitation. We could share your love. For what we give, God, we ask you to bless that. Multiply it. Use it to do something amazing and miraculous so that we could continue to share the good news of the love of Jesus in Roswell and beyond. Oh, God. Would you be in this invitation right now